Want to know more about cryptocurrency? Well, you're in the right place. This is Crypto Unplugged. A fact-based, straight-talking, no-nonsense look into the world of cryptocurrency. We discuss trading strategies and market advice, review up-and-coming projects, and more. And we've got years of experience and knowledge that can help new and seasoned investors become more confident and comfortable navigating the cryptocurrency landscape. Now, let's get to the podcast. Here's your host, Dr. Crypto. Welcome, listeners, to another special Crypto Unplugged podcast. Dr. Crypto here, known as Doc. And I hope you listeners are all well today. As usual, I'm joined by Oz, who's had, you know, been in a bit of a research zone recently and is extremely bullish of late. Oz, what's been happening? How comes the sudden, you know, focus? Uh, is it because you've been injured uh, with your sports injuries and stuff? No, not, re- not really. I've always been bullish, Doc. Yeah, I'm always bullish on crypto. You know, I think uh, the market's doing well. Yeah. Uh, just looking at, yeah, uh, what you're referring to maybe looking at more of the gaming side of crypto. Yeah. So it's a, it's a new new area. Let's see how it goes. Uh, yeah, but it's, I'm bullish on that. And what's happening with your injury? When are you going to be back on the pitch? Uh, tomorrow. Yeah? Hopefully tomorrow. All right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Hopefully, hopefully. Oz, and look, listeners, we're really happy to be joined by a very special guest and uh, covering something which is predominantly a DeFi project. And we haven't really spoken about DeFi project. Uh, We haven't had a guest who primarily speaks about DeFi. So this is exciting for us and for you listeners to uh, hopefully um, benefit from this. And it's a project that's been gaining a lot of attention since the beginning of of the year. So we're pleased to be joined by Abitaj Singh, who's in charge of community and strategy from Persistence. Abitaj, how are you? Doing very well, Doc. Thank you so much uh, for inviting me over to the show. Very excited about it. Fantastic, Abitaj. And the pleasure is all ours. And uh, Abitaj, um, where are you based at the moment? So currently based out of Bangalore, India. Yeah. Um, yeah. And um, I'm sure the southern part of India is very mild in terms of its weather, particularly right now. It could be cold. Yeah, I mean, so then, especially when you talk about Bangalore, it's uh, pleasant throughout the year. Uh, that's beautiful part about of Bangalore, and that's one of the things that always draws me to Bangalore. So for most of the time um, throughout, COVID was in based out of US uh, with family out of Chicago. Yeah, and uh, you know when you're living in Chicago and chilly winds, you yeah, always yeah. aspire to have a sunny day. You always aspire to have you know, pleasant weather. I think so one of the beautiful things that's about Bangalore is um, just this pleasant weather. Yeah, consistently beautiful all year round there. And I'm sure you've been hanging around a lot of restaurants on MG Road, right? (laughs) Absolutely. I think that's bang on. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Uh, MG Road and where um, one of our offices is, 100 Feet Road. I think so there are the uh, body hubs of Bangalore where yeah. all major startups are based out of, um, you know, some of the biggest startups of India, uh, recent unicorns like Cred, um, you have Ola um, and multiple, and now likely Persistence. Fantastic. And that's just, uh, you know, very organic to be in a place like that. So Abitaj, you know, what we do usually with our special guests, and of course you are a very special one, um, you to talk about your journey, you know, before coming into persistence, you know, can you just give us a b- brief background 
uh, about you know your personal character, Abitaj Singh, and how you came into crypto. What convinced you about this whole crypto and blockchain space? Absolutely. Uh, I think it's a very interesting story. And uh, for me, it was like crypto was something that I think so was meant to happen. So uh, before joining uh, Persistence or even before joining crypto altogether, I was um, studying at BIT University, which is our Southern College in India, one of the top engineering colleges. So I was doing engineering. Um but throughout my engineering, something that I was very fascinated about was startup culture. And if you look at Indian um, ecosystem altogether, it's one of the fastest growing startup ecosystems and only third to um, US and China. So yeah. a lot of startups were um, brimming up in into like edtech and uh, you had fintech and a bunch of my seniors were working on these startups. So I uh, became part of a couple of founding teams. And one of them is um, Vinyol. Um, so was among the first few members of the team and learned a lot about um, how startups are started and they, you know how teams are formed. How do you go after users? What? How do you capture um, each and every requirement to create into a product? I think so right from my first year of college to you know, finally of my college, these were like, you know, kept on participating in multiple um, startup journeys and then hackathons or tra- was traveling um, throughout the world. So ha- traveled extremely a lot into US, went to a lot of hackathons, Hack Howard, Penn Apps, um, and uh, was gaining a lot of exposure about developer communities. So helped um, Facebook, Google, um, ACM to create their developer communities. Also started multiple developer-related um, uh, yeah. Initiatives such as Code to Create, which is one of the biggest national student hackathons in India now, um, started five years back, and um, was also helping like underprivileged kids to learn about technology, especially that it, it's going to play such an important role. So, was going to shelter homes, um, orphanages to um, teach kids about because I was very fascinated about. Um, like new emerging technologies and wanted to share that enthusiasm with people who didn't have that exposure. And so doing that was like gaining this certain presence in developer communities. So, and started like reaching out to people, what's new, what's happening. And then something that of course was not going to excite me was a traditional corporate job. Absolutely, uh, and this is not nothing to say that it's um, you know it's bad or it's not meant for anyone. I think so. They're they're great jobs, but it's just like something that I was looking for is, was more of like um, starting a new journey into like something that's exciting and it's starting from scratch. And in those conversations, was like visiting to Bangalore frequently. I met one of my seniors who was working on a blockchain um, startup. And um, he walked me through the whole, like, before that, I had invested in Bitcoin, but it was majorly from the investment perspective. But yeah. then I started looking at the tech part of it, and it, like, it really um, held me by hand. And then it's like, okay, this is something that I really want to explore. And this is something that is definitely going to change how we look at finance, how we look at um, identities, how we look at a certain asset classes. 
and which we are realizing today. And so back in 2018, when I was getting in, like Indian crypto scene was not that huge. In general, like DeFi scene was not that huge. So you had like a bunch of layer ones, a lot of activity was happening on Ethereum one, uh, Ethereum um, chain, but not other chains like now you have Solana, Polkadot, Cosmos, multiple other chains that have spun up, but back then it was Ethereum. So started learning, um, started my journey by learning about Bitcoin, Ethereum, and then really got um, involved into like crypto communities. Like I was just going through, um, scrolling through different communities. And and then like I gave up on all the job offers that I had and decided, okay, hey, maybe this industry might not survive five years, but the five years I have in this industry will give me the exposure of my life. And that's how I left college. Um, So last semester of my college, came out of college and started working uh, with my senior, as I mentioned, on his venture and started exploring more about crypto and start. And that's how, you know, with the the few investments that I had uh, made in Bitcoin and started flowing into Ethereum and into DeFi and then eventually explored um, Cosmos and then got heavily involved into Cosmos ecosystem. And uh, doing that work uh, finally led me to start a venture, which was Block42. Um, and no shame in saying, you know, successfully failed at it. I think so the timing was not right for especially the Indian crypto space. Uh, the timing was not right for people to uh, explore proof of stake networks or, you know, as a whole. Uh, but that led me to meet Shar and Dipanchu. Um, and and the marriage of our ideas happened. And they wanted somebody who could come on and take responsibility of community um, and who's been already in the developer ecosystem. Um, and that's how I got into persistence. And this is like a journey. But can say that those, um, you know, eight months or so of uncertainty, when yeah. I did not know um, whether this industry is going to survive, I did not know whether, you know, I'm going to find something interesting in this space uh, for myself to do, um, where I d- even I didn't have like a steady source of income. Of I think so going through that created more hunger and desire to learn and be on the ground and uh, keep hustling and keep delivering. And I think so that's one of the key aspects of working at Persistence is like if everyone comes with that um, mindset where delivering is the primary objective and we want to be here in a like it's a long race for each one of us. It's a marathon and not sprint. And um, yeah, we want to just keep delivering and keep creating value. Yeah, very interesting journey, um, Abitaj. And obviously mentioning that, you know, at that particular vital point, you know, just uh, in your last semester at college um, and, you know, a lot of pressures from, you know, external uh, factors, you can say, um, you know, trying to push you maybe to perhaps to take up job offers, but, you know, to actually take a risk and to jump uh, deep into um, something like you mentioned, you know, it may not last five years, but you've got an opportunity to go into it. And you just went full on um, studying, researching and um, arriving to where you are today. So it's, it is a very interesting journey. But you mentioned DeFi uh, there a number of times. And, you know, we've we've, ha- we've all had our experiences with the DeFi summer and um, 
you know, the craze, the gains that he brought to investors as well from an investment perspective. But from more of a, you know, technical perspective, because we have a mixture of listeners. Some of our listeners are fairly new to the crypto space and some of, you know, our listeners and our community are like veterans, you can say. So could you perhaps explain what DeFi is in a nutshell? Yeah, absolutely. So if you look at DeFi um, and to expand the word, it's decentralized finance. And uh, when you look at like just trying to create analogy for everyone to understand, when you look at finance in general, like what we have been taught is there are uh, middlemen, there are bankers and who have the power to uh, create uh, certain rules for finance. Um, they are the sole um, like as you say, the big um, giants who control everything. And uh, and I think so that distress of the constant friction of not having power at your end um, led to something which, like a concept altogether of Bitcoin, and which was, which took birth in 2008, or post-2008 crisis. And we have seen how Bitcoin has given power to each individual. Um, and now use cases such as El Salvador um, or Venezuela and now multiple other like North, um, Southeastern, um, Southeast Asia countries, they, they all have started adopting Bitcoin at scale. But if yeah. you look at Bitcoin, there cannot be multiple use cases that can be developed on top of it. And it was important for the, the the entire blockchain or crypto economy to grow. There had to be multiple use cases, and so came along um, as we know it today, Ethereum. And when you look at Ethereum, basically it's uh, as we like to explain it in simple terms. You could think of it as a huge video game um, where you have multiple chip slots. Hmm. So every one can put their own chip slot into that huge video game. This video game could be considered as EVM, right? Because we know Ethereum virtual machine, yep. which is sitting on top of an architecture. And there are multiple chip slots that are available. And each of chip slot, you can insert your own game um, chip, uh, which is nothing but the smart contract. Now, Initially, this came a uh, smart contract idea came about, and the most vital um, use case for it spun up around was finance. And if you look at every new industry, sort of serves as a purpose to something which is the biggest industry where people can go in, experiment, and first people that come in are always people that have huge capital or huge appetite for risk, and that is the reason why finance becomes such an important case. So decentralized, when you talk about decentralized finance, it is that one, so when you have one game chip and you put in, it's like, you no, know, you created one use case, then multiple other inspirations are drawn on top of it. And if you can have like one game, you play one game, which has very similar characteristics to other games, you would you know, want to have more and more variations of that game. That's how you know what we have decentralized finance today. It's like which is allowing one as start of the conversation of this question. I said you know it allows you to have control of your own money, which is very important. 
Second, it allows you to create multiple utilities without a middleman. Now you don't need a bank. Now you don't need an investor. Now you don't need um, government to create use cases for the money you own. You have the power to go out and create your own game and put that into this huge video game and can you know allow multiple other people to uh, play with that game. What it does is it eliminates the barriers to an entry for anyone. And that's what decentralized finance is. Decentralized finance is a way to create um, flow of or, or exchange of value without middlemen. And one of the beautiful use cases now we are seeing is people are allowed to lend and borrow without having to you know, go through banking systems where they have to have a bank account. Other great use case that is coming around um, DeFi now is that people are able to earn like fixed incomes out of um, or generate fixed income out of their um, assets. And you may ask me that is decentralized finance like completely fair today? Um, and it is, is it accessible for everyone? Yes, it is accessible for everyone, but might not be feasible for everyone when you look at Ethereum high gas prices. But that's journey that we go through every new technology. Back in 1999 or nine, to even early 2000s, you know, the access to internet was very, very expensive. And only like, you know, few people could afford having internet. Few people had that luxury to send emails. Um, but if you look today, everyone has a mobile phone. Everyone is on Instagram. Everyone is on Facebook. Everyone is on like Twitter. And exchange of value is on, or exchange of data on internet ha has become so cheap. And especially if when you're talking about countries like India, which has geo, you know, it's like one GB of data is as low as, you know, like three rupees or four rupees. And that, I mean, four rupees, it's like, you know, less than 0.5 dollar, you get like one GB data. And um, and similarly, we are going to go that journey where we are going to have these multiple chains, which are like, um, now Solana has come in, there's Cosmos that are creating these more feasible methods for people to adopt DeFi. You know, if you look at persistence itself, an example, you do a transaction on persistence, um, it takes you less than 10 cents to do any transaction. And on top of that, you have control of your assets, you get full um, you know, autonomy to create your own use cases, you have autonomy over how do you want to make yield, right? And the way, like, and you can always leverage up. So that I would like. I mean, this whole topic can take this whole call. But in if you look at decentralized finance, it's like as you as it's described popularly, it's like Lego blocks of internet money. And so we are. I think so. We are just laying down the foundation with these Lego blocks and top of it, we are creating, everyone is creating the structure that they love, the structure that they want to see. And we have not seen so much power, um, powerful instrumentation for 
journal users or end users. And, and that's where the power is coming. And we are seeing more and more retail adoption and we are seeing more and more retail involvement. Um, GameStop is just an example of that. You know, hyper uh, financialization of the world is happening. And in this, and this time, people like you and me are driving it rather than big banks driving it. Absolutely. I mean, it's a very interesting analogy that you uh, described to break down the concept of uh, of decentralized finance or DeFi, you know, about these gaming slots. And, you know, in reality, we all understand, despite, you know, the challenges of high gas fees uh, of Ethereum, that it's an important contributor, you can say, to uh, the whole space. And as time, um, another interesting analogy you mentioned about the costs of uh, dial-up. Uh, and then broadband, and now what we see here, how cheap it is um, to have internet. It just shows within a very short space of time how any industry uh, can develop. So it's very, very interesting, and I'm sure uh, with your analogy, I've benefited, and uh, our listeners will do too when uh, describing uh, uh, DeFi. Yeah, definitely. No, it was, it was very interesting. Just, just one thing I want to um, just touch on uh, before going into the uh, project of persistence. You know, we, when you say decentralized finance, um, where the user has control over, you know, their finance. You know, the only thing I was thinking about for for general retail people who um, who who you know, when they like their money and their wealth is in banks, um, and if anything goes wrong, they call up the bank, you know, and go through security process and you know get retrieve everything back. How do you think that's going to work with decentralized finance, for example? I know you need wallet keys and all that sort of stuff. Imagine, you know, do you think there'll be any insurances if someone does lose their keys or does do you know if they do lose things? How would they um, get them back? I know it's easy to say just write them down, keep them secure, but do you think that's another barrier at the moment? Because if somebody, you know, there's been many stories of people losing private keys and all that sort of stuff and just losing their whole money. So if they got full control over their of their finances, what are the checks that maybe? We, um, what are the securities for them to get their finances back and, and things like that? I think so. We're still very early stages of uh, decentralized finance and DeFi or crypto altogether. And things like insurances are coming up where people are putting their assets into multiple protocols. Now you have insurance. Some, some things like Unsplashed are coming Um and multiple other, um, you have Nexus Mutual. So you're starting to see insurance come in. But as for um, your keys, I think so we would see as more and more institutions get in, as more and more users get in, we would see people create use cases around uh, like custody insurances as well. Um, and for for like I think so it is also a fact of that there has to be a trade-off. If people need to be control of their money, they need to be more careful. It's um, <laughs> yeah, the simple, it's simple, simple saying, simple you know. Answer. Yeah, it's a simple <laughs> saying. With uh, like with more power comes more responsibility. So it's Definitely. like yeah, it's I, scary I think, as well in a way. Yeah. It's scary as well, but also I understand what you're saying where people need to be responsible. Uh, but yeah, it's just a, it's just an interesting thing I was thinking about where uh, just with decentralized finance and you know with people 
being more and more control of their wealth, how much more responsibility that is. So yeah, just another thing. Uh, just yeah, going into your into your own project, uh, persistence. If you can tell our listeners, you know what's what's the project about and what are you trying to um, solve in the in the you know in the blockchain world or in the real world. Absolutely. So um, persistence is a tenement based chain, which is trying to enable exposure to multiple different asset classes. And so if you look today, people want to get into NFTs, they want to get into proof of stake, they want to get into DeFi um, or synthetic assets. But there's a huge barrier uh, to entry where people um, think about, okay, first, if I have to get into NFTs, I need to know about NFTs, how NFTs operate. And if they want to get into DeFi, first, they need to know how DeFi operates. And for a lot of users, that becomes a roadblock where they're in constant battle. Okay, if I need to get in first, I need to understand. What Persistence is trying to create is an agnostic layer uh, through its native token, which is XPRT. So if you hold XPRT, you get exposure to multiple asset classes, such as uh, proof-of-stake assets, which is through our um, liquid staking application, P-Stake. You are getting exposure to NFTs, which is through our NFT uh, application, Asset Mental. And you're getting exposure to synthetics, which is through um, our ecosystem project, Comdex. Now, it's like if you hold XPRT, you're basically getting uh, exposure to all these assets through fee-sharing model. So if, if you hold XPRT, you're getting fee share from P-Stake, Asset Mental, um, Comdex, as well as you're getting multiple airdrops. And you are also able to take your XPRT and you put your XPRT into these applications to have leverage upon those applications, right? So it's just like okay. when I have to get exposure, I need to just take care of one asset, which is XPRT, while getting exposure to multiple asset classes or having leverage on multiple asset classes because I can interact with one asset. Um, so this is something which uh, allows people to have very easy access. Um Beyond that, if you look at what we're trying to do at a long-term horizon is create a complete ecosystem of uh, different applications which bring different asset classes into the ecosystem. And that could be debt financing. And you could say you could split up NFTs altogether into art asset classes. There could be collectibles. There could be, um, you would have, music royalties and so each of that asset class now can be just explored through XPRT. that's what we are trying to do um, we are a cosmos based project that allows us to have much more flexibility and create uh, like create applications that almost replicate the transaction speed or the capabilities that are available in web to um you know some sort of that, uh, if not completely, but have much more flexible um, systems, have a better user interfaces. You can create um, much more amicable, I would say, interface for people coming from Web 2.0 into Web 3.0. And yeah, so that is what we are trying to do at Persistence. 
Yeah, that's uh, now sounds great. And um, you did mention a lot of product, uh, pr- uh, sorry, products that you have. Yeah. Uh, what's this Comdex? What 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 do you, what what can users do in Comdex? Yeah, so Comdex initially started with a vision to cater to um, institutional commodity traders, and yep. what we realized over time is that there has to be still a lot of bridges need to be built uh, where people need, like commodity traders need to understand a little bit more about how decentralized networks work, um, how things are going on chain and with other aspects, other infrastructure that needs to be developed around um, blockchain or crypto altogether today. Um, And but just understanding that journey, that commodities trading space, I think so there was a huge um, opportunity which allowed, like which was commodity assets, these you know real world commodities such as oil, you have palm oil, agriculture commodities like corn, wheat, and yep. these are traditionally or historically they have been the most traded. Com- um, like these are most traded asset classes, but right now you don't have any bridge for these asset classes to come into crypto or give exposure to people across the world. Right now, it's like very um, heavily guarded or heavily lobbied uh, community. Only like huge players have access to these commodities, or people have limited access. Now, with when you bring these commodities onto crypto, everyone in the world can have access to them. There are no geographical restrictions. There is no, um, like you don't need to be, say, tier one investor or accredited investor to invest in certain commodities. Everyone can invest. So what Comdex is doing is creating synthetic assets for um, these real-world commodities onto Comdex uh, application, and then people from around the crypto space can take positions on those commodities. So it's like creating synthetic assets. I'm sure you might have heard of, heard about like how, for example, projects like Mirror, which is by Terra, or Binance itself, yep. uh, have brought Netflix uh, stock um, yes, 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 right. crypto and Google stock into crypto. Similarly, you know, Comdex is trying to bring these commodities into crypto. So, um, is it live now? You can, you know, people can trade it now, or is it is it yet to still to come in? Yeah. So, if you look at uh, Persistence ecosystem, Comdex Enterprise version um, was live, and uh, like there were is live and has done hundred million worth of transaction volume. Wow. That's, um, that's amazing. The other like flagship application of uh, Persistence, which is P-Stake, which is our liquid staking solution. And I can yeah, yeah, explain a little bit about uh, what liquid staking is for, people, for better yeah, understanding. Definitely. Yeah, explain P-Stake uh, as well. Yeah, so uh, P-Stake is our flagship uh, application, which is live. And um, it is already supporting Atom. And we next asset that is coming on to P-Stake is XPRT. And by the time this show goes live, I think so we'll have multiple different uh, POS assets that would be supported on P-Stake. Um, and we have another application, which is Asset Mental, which allows um, any today any creator 
has to go and list their NFTs on something like OpenSea, um, or they will have to have start their own project altogether, um, NFT project, which is a tedious pr- process if you have you don't know about how to develop an um, NFT project. So it gets complex. But what Asset Mental is allowing it, it's basically Shopify for NFTs, where today you have uh, Shopify. If you want to create your own store for any merchandise, you go out, you have all the templates available, and you just uh, put your merchandise into it, and voila, you have your own marketplace. Same way right, is yeah. what Asset Mental is trying to do. And on top of it, we are trying to also build an interchain a marketplace which would allow NFTs to come together from all different chains in one place. And of course, as I said, Comdex. So Asset Mental demo is live. We are trying to push that um, like the full product with framework and marketplace towards um, early quarter one, 2022. Um, and we have um, Comdex, which is going live to like this quarter, um, 2021. Um, and yeah, so just to talk about Beastake, which is the product which is already live. Um, we so just to give some reference to people who are like, I'm sure people are new to staking altogether, and liquid staking exactly, yep. come as a bouncer to them. Um, talking cricket terms, um, but but if you look at um, what staking is today, staking is a method where the participants of any project uh, they hold certain assets and they have to lock those assets on chain to make the chain more secure so i'm sure people have heard about assets such as cardano or solana or polkadot uh, terra cosmos and now persistence so all of these are proof of stake chains where to secure these chains the token holders, like for in persistence case, there is XPRT. These holders have to lock their assets on chain to secure the chain. In return, they are earning a certain fixed amount, which is called staking rewards, um, in form of um, like in these rewards in the same token. Right. So if you're staking XPRT, you're getting more XPRT. So it yep. is big. It is basically like a fixed deposit you would do in your bank. When you go to a bank, you do a fixed deposit and say, okay, I'm going to put, say, 500 pounds into my bank for six months, and I'm not going to touch the six months. This secures the bank's liquidity. So bank has now $500 for six, 500 pounds yep. for six months. So they give you an interest on top of it. So that's, that's a fixed right. deposit, yeah. right? But for six months, I don't have any liquidity. So I'm earning a yield, but I cannot use um, my 500 pounds in any way now. But what liquid yep. staking or what P-stake does is it basically allows people to say in, like if you were in a traditional space, you would go to a bank and say, these are my 500 pounds. And banks take take um, those five hundred pounds and gives you a receipt. Now you can use this receipt um, and go to another bank and keep this as a collateral and say, okay, can I take a loan on top of it? Okay, can um, 
can I, for example, have another exchange asset against it? That's what allows you to have liquid staking allows you to do is you have proof of stake assets, you can lock them. And when you lock them through PStake, basically you're securing chain, you are continuously making that staking rewards as the yield that you're making for securing the chain. But on yep. top of it, you get a representative token, which is nothing but that reset. Now you take this reset and you can go into multiple other DeFi protocols or DeFi applications, such as Sushi, Aave, Compound, and you can interact with these assets. As long as you hold these representative assets, you also have the underlying asset, control of the underlying asset, basically the ownership. If you give out that uh, receipt to somebody else, then they are the rightful owner of the underlying asset. So your chain keeps on um, uh, stay secure while you, you know, people can keep experimenting. So it allows you to have liquidity. So your assets don't get locked. That's what PStake is doing. And it solves another major uh, problem, which um, you know, now we are starting to see in proof of stake ecosystems is that people have to pick between one thing, either securing the chain or making yield, right? Which is like everyone wants to make more money, but now yep. it's a tough choice. Either I support the network um, and like support the growth of that network, or I just go on top of it and make more assets for myself. But with liquid staking or applications such as PStake, you would be able to do both together and there's you there's no compromise between on the network security side as well as on you know on the yield generation for the end user well that's a very comprehensive explanation of of p stake and uh, com, uh, comdex so yeah I, I was just looking at the staking options just right now as you were talking and something that yeah i would try myself yeah very interesting and you know you elaborated very well there as oz mentioned you know the products that um Persistence have uh, created with Comdex uh, P stake, particularly with Asset Mantle, this uh, interoperable NFT marketplace. Uh, um, it's something which is um, quite unique because um, Abitage, I'm not sure if you're pleased to know, but I've discovered I've become a bit of an artist recently. I'm not sure. <laughs> I'm not sure how good I am, but um, I'll definitely make uh, use of those things. But you know, you mentioned, um, um, you know. Persistence and Cosmos uh, on Cosmos um, developing Cosmos. We actually had a guest uh, from another project um, also building on Cosmos. I mean, and you mentioned issues related to speed and cost flexibility. Is it mostly related to scalability? Yeah, I think so. Cosmos uh, uh, provides you a huge advantage in terms of scalability because it follows something which is known as hub and spoke model, where uh, you could have a hub chain, which is in today's case, for example, persistence is a hub chain, which could be said as a main center. And around that, you could have multiple small chains, like child chains, which could run specific applications. So like, for example, Asset Mental is going to be uh, another hub that is connected with persistence. And that hub will have multiple small NFT applications. For example, somebody wants to start an art marketplace, it's a separate chain, small chain, 
which is connected to Asset Mental and in return connected to Persistence Hub. You would have uh, uh, collectibles like uh, football cards. Could uh, somebody who has football cards and they want to create a marketplace for it? NFTs. They have it's another separate chain, so you could have multiple chains, and that allows huge scalability for you because you don't have problems such as network clogging. You don't have problems such as high gas fees. You don't have problems um, where you know everyone has to abide by the same rules of the network. Every chain can have their own sovereign rules. So like, for example, as you, I'm not sure who, who was the person who came on, on the show, but if you, if you take example of multiple chains, um, like in Cosmos ecosystem, there's a cash network, uh, which is a decentralized cloud, which has its own, um, you know, tokenomics. It has its own rules, set of rules on its chain. Uh, persistence has its own set of rules on its chain. Terra has its own set of rules on its chain. And Cosmos Hub itself, which is um, the main chain, has its own rules. And now you have DeFi hubs like Osmosis. Everyone has their own sovereignty, but they're connected with each other and they're operating with each other. And that sort of creates like internet of blockchains. And so if you look today, every in you basically you have multiple websites um on or the multiple applications or a phone and all of those applications basically can interact with each other um through internet right? so basically a network and that's connecting all those chains very similarly um you have now um is cosmos which is allowing like each of these chains or each of these projects can be taken as a website, but they're bringing all these websites together and creating an internet of blockchain. And um, that's why they call themselves internet of blockchains. And if I'm not sure if you've gone through, but IBC, which is the inter-blockchain communication, recently is picking up a lot of popularity because it's now allowing multiple of these chains to come together, work together. Um, now you could take one token to another chain uh, recently, it got very popular with uh, Bitcoin being added to um, Cosmos ecosystem. Like soon, Bitcoin will be will be able to move to Cosmos ecosystem. Uh, all like work for connecting Ethereum and Cosmos is almost done. I think so. Just that last uh, piece of the puzzle needs to be attached with Gravity Dex. Um, going live now ethereum assets will be able to come to cosmos and cosmos assets will be able to go to ethereum so a lot of exciting things are happening and yeah that's what cosmos is about so, so, just sorry Oz. That's, that's that's interesting go on go on then Doc. No, no, because you mentioned something there about ibc and you're talking about cosmos ecosystem which is obviously you know um the the, the technology is um uh, like we could say superior we actually had Jazir from SIFChain, you know, and talking about Omnidex uh, related to uh, on the IBCs. You know, obviously this um, multi-chain uh, decentralized exchange, similar to um, this inter interoperability that you were mentioning about with the products that uh, Persistence is coming uh, out with as well. Yeah, so um, what? Sorry, uh, what I was going to say is uh, j the way you explained the the Cosmos blockchain as separate separate chains just for you know uh, our listeners how, how on ethereum how does it work then with ethereum is it just one chain and everybody has to um basically share that chain uh what's the difference between ethereum's blockchain and for example cosmos 
Yeah, so I think so. It's like would like to go back to the example that I shared earlier. It's like Ethereum is like this huge video game, right? Uh, and this video game is nothing but Ethereum chain. And on top of it, you have multiple slots, which are nothing but smart contract. Um, so you're just putting in your chips in. So you put your logic in and you have the slots. And each one is like everyone is operating on the same infrastructure. Right? That's Ethereum right. chain. Um, so, so basically, I can change the logic of my game, which the chip I have. But I cannot change the whole video game altogether. So if video game says, okay, you're going to have, say, just 10 frames per second um, speed for your video game, then everyone was just going to have 10 um, frames per second. I cannot go out and say, no, I want another video game which has 50 um, frames per second. So everyone has to abide by that infrastructure. you know the limit and yeah yeah so, exactly yeah so with difference with cosmos is or say or multiple other chains that are coming around um in cosmos you don't have to abide by just there's no one video game everyone can have their own video game and what ibc does is it allows people to connect those video games through say you know you could say lan cables now you could connect one video game to another video game and these people could have completely different video games. One could have Nintendo Wii, the other one could have PlayStation, the other one could have Xbox. And all of these could be connected together. And all of them are running different games. All of them have their own sovereign um, logics, own sovereign infrastructures. That's the difference between Ethereum and Cosmos. That's a, that's an amazing explanation the way you gave it. So, so, so <laughs> how it sounds to me is that Cosmos would be the better blockchain. <laughs> then it, it, like, uh, it, it may like, would it make sense for people to come onto Cosmos or new projects because with Ethereum's gas fees and all the problems it's having, or will Ethereum find a solution and scale? You know, I'm, I, I don't know the answer, but maybe you can share some thoughts. I think so. I wouldn't say um, it's like about being better. I think so. Each blockchain provides its own, um, you know, proposition. If you look at Ethereum, uh, Ethereum provides you the security. Now you have thousands and you know hundreds of thousands of um, miners that are securing Ethereum chain today. And as yep. it moves to proof of stake. So currently Ethereum is transitioning from proof of work where miners operate to proof of stake, um, which is Ethereum 2.0. I'm sure a lot of listeners might have read about Ethereum 2.0. So basically it's moving Ethereum from proof of work consensus mechanism to proof of stake consensus mechanism that might or might not improve this, um, like the costs such as associated such as like gas fees, transaction fees. But you, you just look at Ethereum, what it allows is this composability. The composability is much more simpler uh, when you look at Ethereum. Now, you could create all different applications that can work very closely with each other. Today, Aave assets can be easily taken into compound and so compound um, to, say, Curve, Curve to other uh, DeFi applications. So Ethereum bought that composability right? and also allowed to bootstrap the whole DeFi ecosystem. 
will yeah definitely yeah yeah will, i understand and a lot of people say they argue will like there would be one chain that will rule it all i don't believe in it i think so we are going to live in a world as i said we don't have just one website today that we go to we have thousands of websites that we access each website has its own niche purpose right and similarly we're going to have uh different blockchains that would serve um their own niche like use case for example people would come to cosmos to have sovereign chains or sovereign applications um people would go to ethereum to have uh composability and you know security people would go to solana to have fast transactions people will go to applications like flow to create certain you know nft applications people would go to uh, chains like terra to have access to something like stable coins right? so every chain comes with its own proposition people would come to persistence to have exposure to multiple asset classes and so every chain will have uh, will work together so and it's just like only the only parameter which would define how many chains would survive is how many chains are able to create use cases and utility on top of them every chain that does not have a utility today would die over time um, you know once we see mass adoption once we see more and more retailers come in they would realize some chain might not have utility um so nobody would adopt those chains and over time of course they have to die down and every chain that is delivering products that is creating products or creating utilities for their native tokens will survive and have a use case yeah no, that's fantastic i think you've given a really good overview of probably one of the best explanations of of the different blockchains and use cases and you know uh, how things will work together i think it's a, I, i think it's really good for a really simple way as well that you know the the average person can understand uh, you know the differences and how th- blockchains should work together uh, yes this is fantastic absolutely absolutely and um, very interesting that you don't believe there would be one uh, chain to rule them all so you don't believe there would be a sauron of the blockchains uh, arbitrage yeah <laughs> sauron yeah. okay yeah sorry go on um Yeah, yeah. I think so. so you know yeah. just um you know you've obviously co- very comprehensively explained um um you know the um, persistence and the products that you've uh, launched or are launching let's talk a bit about the future now um is there any exciting developments uh, that you could possibly share with us and our listeners uh, where you would like to uh, see or plans are in progress in terms of partnerships as well Yeah, absolutely. I think so. One of the most exciting things that is coming up is with Beastick. So a lot of people now will be able to take their proof of stake assets to uh, which are on different chains to Ethereum DeFi and be able to, as I said, leverage on the composability of different DeFi applications on Ethereum. And we're going to have huge um, incentives for bootstrapping the liquidity and use cases for uh stk tokens which are the basically the tokens that would be created on top of uh pstake outside of that i think so we have a lot more coming up in persistence ecosystem with comdex going live and then use cases for xprt and stk assets which are pstake assets on comdex also we will um we'll soon start seeing 
development on asset mental, where we'll start um, not just enabling developers to create marketplaces or infrastructures on top of asset mental, but you know, as you said, Doc, you know, artists such as yourself who want to now, you know, flex their art capabilities uh, to the wider yeah. world. Yeah, <laughs> I'm, no, it means. Yeah. I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm sure, I'm sure like um, art is yeah, subjective. Yeah. So I'm sure you will find, uh, or say, <laughs> Absolutely. you know, I your podcast you. yeah. itself, your podcast itself could have some exclusive um shows that could then be listed on asset mantle like you can create your own marketplace where it could be crypto on parts um exclusive um shows that are up for grabs for people to acquire so say you have a good guest that might become like a you know multi-billionaire in future you want to just put that out and somebody buys that you know you could have multiple use cases that but now you don't have to create that from scratch, you can create your own marketplace with help of asset mental with you know templates. So there are multiple things like this coming in persistence ecosystem. Um, outside of that, I think so the most exciting part right now, which is ongoing, is uh, with XPRT. You can have multiple ways to create yield on XPRT. If you talk about today, as I said, IBC is just getting started. The Cosmos DeFi is roaring. If you, um, if you know, lack of any the better word, I think yep. so. It's roaring out and um, standing very strong with Osmosis. Osmosis that went uh, live in June. Still, you get more than uh, 160% uh, returns on um, the APY. On XPRT, now Sift Chain has gone live. As you said, Joe's were there was there on the show. On Sift Chain today, you have three hundred plus percent um, APY on XPRT uh, liquidity provisioning. Soon we will have XPRT on P stake, so people will be able to you know leverage XPRT and put provide liquidity in Sushi um, and then have you know, accumulate trading fees from the pool as well as P stake rewards. So there's so many of these things that are coming up. And I think so by mid next year, we should have much more applications that would start spinning up around these core applications. So something um, which could be considered very similar, I think so in our journey is something to journey of Terra, where Terra had application called Chai, which was on the more on the real world use cases side, something how we started our journey with Condex. And then Terra went on to create um, crypto native applications such as Mirror Protocol, Anchor Protocol, which allowed them to bootstrap the ecosystem and um, bring out you know, multiple use cases for these assets. And for us, it is very similarly like what Mirror is doing, we're trying to do now with Convex um, Synthetics. And then we have similar to Anchor Protocol, which allows to give you get you fixed yield on multiple different asset classes. We are trying to do that with um, uh, P-Stake. And then we have another NFT product, which is Asset Mental. Now we will see uh, other projects, so third-party developers to come in uh, and in other entrepreneurs to come in and those entrepreneurs will create 
applications around P-Stake, applications around Asset Mental, applications around Comdex. So the ecosystem will very rapidly grow from here because the ground is already set for other people to build on top of it. Yeah, that sounds absolutely fantastic and extremely exciting. And, um, you know, just the comprehensive nature of the project to include um, products like this, which uh, obviously include a number of different ecosystems for uh, users, both in terms of the institutional investors or bringing traditional finance or bridging them to, um, you know, our bubble, you can say, in cryptosphere, and for us to move towards that space as well. Um, Oz, do you have any other question for um, Abitaj? Yeah, just a general question. Just uh, you know, uh, a final question from me because uh, I think the information has been very valuable today. Um, just uh, where do you see crypto going in the next? You know, year? I know it's difficult to predict, but where do you see uh, the crypto space going within the next year or two? Like, for example, do you think we will have a a sustained bull market? Uh, you've been in the uh, you've been in crypto a long time, or do you think we'll have these normal four year cycles that um, we've been having uh, so far? I think these cycles are part of the growth altogether. Um, people like come in, new users come in, and then um, they see this growth. And after a certain time, I think so. Every you know, the, there is uh, everyone wants to step back a little, um, looking at you know want regulations to settle down, want uh, the hype to settle down and build up new things. So I think so. There will be another cool down period. Um, what the exact parameters on that would be, I don't want to predict that. Uh, so that would be more speculative. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. But I, I would, I believe there would be a cooldown period again in crypto. Um, and in this cooldown period, what would be different is we would see much more adoption in this cooldown period. We would see much more development because now we are seeing um, institutions jumping into crypto. So far, they are you know, a step behind or say, I would say multi-step behind. And they are just trying to chase in, they're trying to ape in into everything that's they're seeing yeah, around. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, in this cooldown period, they're going to use a lot of resources to develop and adopt to the crypto natively, like like how we uh, assume, like how projects, today, crypto projects uh, adopt crypto, uh, the institutions are going to do the same. So, when we come out of the next, like we come into the next, I would say the super cycle or the uh, bull cycle, what we're going to see is a lot more applications like we saw from last bear cycle to jumping into De- um, into the, this bull cycle. We saw DeFi summer and then we saw NFT summer yeah. um, come around. And now what we see is proof of stake, um, chains taking over. Um, the next bull cycle, I think, so we are going to see much, a lot of use cases, which may be much more complex, uh, where DeFi itself will become such, much more sophisticated. We would have not just lending boring use cases, but we would have multi, like a lot of other use cases. We would see also see regulations get a little bit more robust. And I I, I believe so. I in this I could this could be uh irrational optimism i would say but i think so governments are also closely looking at it and they know uh, if they don't participate 
and they don't understand crypto, they're going to um, lose out on a big opportunity. And, and so that's why they are also going to take it seriously and trying to find ways to adopt it in, of course, more uh, palatable ways for them to do more digestible ways for them to create uh, policies around it. Yeah, and definitely. I think it's, uh, you know, you're right. And I think a lot of institutions, because they are behind um, in, in you know, taking the crypto space seriously, I think this next, you know, like you said, the cool down phase or the bear cycle, I think, yeah, you're right. But do you think the institutions will come and um, not only invest, but do you think they'll come out with new solutions as well and, and, you know, try to get involved in crypto, you know, at the grassroots level rather than just being investors? Absolutely. I think so. And I think so. Peacetake itself um, is a huge use case for that um, and uh, as something that is live out there. So we're seeing institutions now get exposure to proof of stake assets and they are staking their assets to Peacetake and now uh, and taking those assets to go out and experiment in the DeFi applications um, to make sure that they keep on making a fixed income that is to shaking rewards, but still have skin in the game in different DeFi applications and try those out, have experimentations. So I think the institutions are getting um, foot in the door, uh, more and more of them. Um, and there's a huge uh, update that is coming up, which is um, Bitcoin uh, ETFs getting signed um, in December. If yeah, that goes exactly, through, yeah. um, we would see... Uh, we would see a lot more, um, like a lot more institutions holding Bitcoin on their balance sheet, and with more people coming into more institutions coming into uh, Bitcoin or crypto in general, you would definitely see a lot of solutions because now you have like currently crypto is not designed to hold, like handle such huge um, amount of interest or is such huge players coming into uh, crypto. But when they come in and they realize what needs to be done, I think so we'll start seeing solution also spin up, institutions bringing that resources and uh, developers that are out there who have been in the space, who understand, uh, start developing solutions for those institutions. And we would see the marriage happen. Um, but how much of the control shift would happen is something you know, with the time will tell us. Interesting views, and uh, I think both Oz and I, you know, agree with your rational optimism, optimism as you uh, mentioned, uh, Abitaj. But Abitaj, we're going to challenge you into a few unrelated crypto, fine, fun, quick fire round of questions. So, listeners, stay with us. Uh, we're going to put Abitaj on the spot. Crypto unplugged. Welcome back, listeners. We've got Abitaj uh, from Persistence, and we're going to put him on the spot and ask him some. Fun-related quick-fire round of questions. Abitaj, are you ready? Let's go. Let's go. Okay, start the clock. Okay, Abitaj, watching a movie with lights on or lights off? Lights on. Coffee with <laughs> milk or without? With Without milk. Okay. Bangalore or New Delhi? Bangalore, any day. Oh, yeah, I <laughs> thought you said that. Okay, Pepsi or Coca-Cola? Coca-Cola is love. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Ayrton Senna or Lewis Hamilton? Lewis Hamilton, any day. Really? <laughs> okay. All right. Drinking ice cold water or drinking water at room temperature? Room temperature. Mm. Okay. Test match 
or One Day Internationals? Test match. Yes, yes. You're Puritan. Oz, what do you think? Or T20. No, no, no way. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, Neymar or Kylian Mbappe? Mbappe. Okay. Tendulka or Kohli? Tendulka. Of course. Oh, yeah. Really? Yeah. Star Wars, A New Hope or Empire Strikes Back? Star Wars. Wasim Akram or Wakar Yunus? Wasim Akram, I'd say. But oh. that was a tough one. That was a tough I, one. I for a while. <laughs> Oz, Oz, what do you think about that one? I think Akram. He's, uh, he's, I think he was more skillful. Me too. Me too. Okay. And this is the last question, uh, Abitej. Okay. And this is going to put you under pressure because you've got two opposing views here. Okay. So are you ready? Oz, you didn't pay him yep. any uh, atom under the table, did you? Nothing. <laughs> no, pay- no payment. All right. Fair enough. Okay. Okay. Now, Abitej, Manchester United or Liverpool? Okay. That was a tough one. Manchester United, I would say. Um, love oh, my friends, love it. Thank oh, you, oh. thank you, Abitaj. Abitaj, no plus. No. Yeah, I, I think so. I, I think so. Uh, you know, Manu has been more in the circle, in the blood, and you know, though I, um, I am a huge fan of City, so that comes as a rival. But still, you know, <laughs> looking, um, looking at the traditions, um, looking at how. You know, Manu was 10 years back. Uh, exactly. So exactly. Thank you. 100%. I agree with you. Nah, well, he's <laughs> going to be agreeing with you. He's a bit biased, Abitaj. Abitaj, I thought you don't get influenced by external factors and friends and stuff. <laughs> You're an independent thinker. <laughs> I'm trying to influence you. Uh, now, it's too late. But look, Oz is going to be very happy because he's got he's actually losing in this game. We've got most of the guests, you know, agree with Liverpool. But I have to take the losses now and again, don't we? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> But okay, last question, um, Abitaj. Do you think that Manchester United are going to be in a bit of a bear mark? Are they going for a bear mark at the moment? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think so. I think so. They're in rebuilding phase. Yeah. Um, with the legends coming back, I think so. <laughs> exactly, would, the uh, legends. Um, they would have a good um, cycle for their young team that they would you know, build now. And every team goes through, you know, slums. I, I think so. They're going through a time where they're rebuilding. Uh, but good teams, strong teams come out stronger um, when they come out. So I, I'm hoping that for them. Unfortunately, I think you're right, unfortunately. <laughs> but Abitaj, one of the smartest guests we've ever had on the on the podcast. Definitely very <laughs> very smart. But I do doubt, doubt that particular answer. But, you know, it's all a matter of opinion, <laughs> isn't it? But Abitaj, yeah. thank you very much. It's been, you know, we've been... Um, you've explained the project DeFi to our listeners and to us we've learned so much and benefited so much from uh, this podcast uh, recording and sitting down with you and um, you know do you have anything uh, that you would like to plug in uh, to our community of listeners the only thing that I would uh, plug in is you know guys if you're looking into crypto um, do go out there uh, and experiment. I think so. The only way to learn about crypto is experiment, um, and only put as much as you are ready to lose. And that's like the cliche as it goes in crypto. But I think so. It's very true. Um, experiment on not just like one one chain, but go to multiple chains, and you might not know where you find the love of your life in terms of crypto, um, like I did in Cosmos. I did in Persistence, and um, 
and and the same thing for I have for persistence. I think so. We are in a stage where we are about to hit the inflection point. There are a lot of things that are coming up. There are a lot of things that are under wraps, and um, they're going to get unleashed as we move forward and quickly. I think so. In the by the time the show goes live, you would already see that there are so many developments that are happening in persistence ecosystem. If you are willing to learn more about persistence, if you're willing to uh, learn more like more about how you can contribute, you can always reach out to us. Um, uh, you can hit up us on Twitter, which is persistence1, um, without any gap. That's our Twitter handle. You could come to our Telegram community, persistence1chat. Um, and yeah, you, you could just be part of the community. That's, I would say, uh, where all the things happen. We have seen multiple different community members now taking initiatives and they're starting their own projects out of persistence community, which is very exciting. Um, so yeah, uh, it's an open invitation to everyone. Thank you very much for that invitation. And listeners, you will find all of the information, including all of the social media, um, you know, um, handles and telegram groups in our episode notes uh, related to Abitej and persistence. So Abitej, it's been, a fun, uh, it's been a great pleasure. Thank you very much. And we do hope that you do. Uh, we can bring you back on Crypto Unplugged in the very near future. Absolutely. Thank you so much, guys, for inviting. It was super fun. One of the you know most fun <laughs> podcasts that I've been on. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And looking forward to seeing you again. You take it easy and take it easy on, you know, um, the Friday nights on MG Road, Abitej, and we'll, we'll see you soon. Oz, <laughs> yeah. Oz, anything Thank you can you, Just uh, been a fantastic guest, very knowledgeable, and, uh, you know, I think we all benefited greatly. Thank you very much, listeners, and stay tuned. As always, subscribe, spread the word, and see you guys next week. Thanks for listening to Crypto Unplugged. We hope you learned something from this episode. For more information, check us out on Twitter at crypto underscore unplugged. If you enjoyed this podcast, don't forget to like and review us. And thanks again for listening to Crypto Unplugged.